Thank you, dear brother. Uh, Please join me in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And as soon as you find your place there, I'll begin reading in verse 13. And we'll read all the way through verse 33. And uh, if there's ever been uh, a service where the means of grace has set us up well, today has been that sort of service. Uh, To begin with, just a biblical theology of adoption, God's saving work through Christ in adopting us into his family, then to be able to hear uh, a young rebel profess her faith in Jesus Christ and stand before us and say these powerful words, Jesus is Lord, a public declaration that Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord of a life, and then to publicly demonstrate this through her baptism and then the reading of Psalm 80, I grabbed Pastor Jordan as he walked by, and I said, how tempted were you to just stay up there and preach Psalm 80? And uh, I would not have had a problem at all. As there, we don't, uh, we're just going through the Psalms, and what a, what a psalm to, in some ways, put a rubber stamp on uh, this series that Pastor Jim and I have been preaching together, and then the songs that we've sung already, so My heart's been stirred in a lot of ways and trust that God still has much to do through his word. So Romans 15, begin in verse 13, read all the way through verse 33. Hear the word of God. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ has all, was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I've often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. When I first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things. They are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I finish this, I have put and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs. I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Verse 30. 
Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, let's join our hearts together and let's beseech this God. Father, we thank you for the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ. And we again thank you for this great joy that we have to be here together today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us to grow in wisdom and knowledge of you. Lord, help us to be filled with the fullness of Christ. Strengthen our inner man today. Lord, make us a praying people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As I stated at the earlier part of the sermon, uh, that today is uh, somewhat of the conclusion of a six-part series that Pastor Jim and I have been sharing. And so it might uh, ask the question, what has been our hope from this six-part series? What are we hoping to aim? And our, our goal has not been merely just to learn about prayer. Our hope is to embody the question of the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. So our plea what we're asking him is for him to help us to be a praying people. And the layout of the verses that I just read to you, uh, really they begin with a blessing. And then after this one verse blessing, it moves on to uh, just some highlights of Paul's ministry uh, among the people there. And then it concludes, not the letter doesn't conclude, but it concludes with this, um, with this um, petition that Paul is urging them to pray with him concerning. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. But before we look at that, let's look at verse 13, this blessing. Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's encapsulate it in this way. He is the God of hope who then fills with all hope through joy and peace in believing so that we will abound in hope and all of this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is we have the triune God on display. The triune God on display in our beseeching him in prayer. So uh, let me ask this question to here to any of us among us who might not yet be in Christ. To whom will you look to fill you with all hope? To whom will you look to fill you with all hope? For many in our neighborhood, it's uh, perhaps music or basketball. That, for many in Uptown, that seems to be the ticket to be able to have a successful and hope-filled life. Perhaps that doesn't pertain to you or interest you in any way. Maybe for you it's financial success, the freedom, the, uh, the freedom of being fearful of living from paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're hoping in health. Maybe you're here and you're uh, hoping in a certain method to raise and educate your children. And we can fill in the blank. We are a hopeful people and we will fill this hope with something. Something is going to grab a heart of our mind. Something is going to grab a hold of our heart. And whatever it is, this is what we're hoping in. About eight or nine years ago, uh, there's a famous football player by the name of Tom Brady. He's quarterback for the New England Patriots. He gave an interview 
um, I think it was after either their most recent Super Bowl win or it might have been during their season where they were um, undefeated all the way up until the end. So he had an interview with 60 Minutes, and this was the statement that uh, Tom Brady made. This is, this is the guy who had already won several Super Bowls, had several Super Bowl MVPs, um, had uh, dated several actresses, supermodels. So in a lot of ways, this man right here embodied the dream. Like, this guy made it. He's a success rate. All the money, all the prestige, the women. This is what he had to say. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this, this, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think God. Me, I think God. It's got to be more than this. God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. So then the person interviewing him asked him this great question. What's the answer, Tom? And this was Tom Brady's response. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm still trying to find. It's quite sobering, right? Really sobering to think a person who honestly admits that a lot of people would think that he has, he, he's, he's arrived, and he's saying, he's saying, God, there must be something more. There must be something more to this life. But the greatest tragedy is there's no indication. There's no indication that he really understands the answer for what he's seeking after. He has the right person there. But his hope is not in the creator, sustainer God. His hope is in something else that he thinks is within him. And I think this is a test for us all, the answer to this question. What do we most often think about? What, most, uh, what gives us the greatest joy? What is the one thing or the several things that we believe that we could not live without? This is most definitely what we are hoping in or whom we are hoping in. Joy and peace and believing are necessary for us to abound in hope. That's what Paul's instructing here. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you may abound in hope. So joy and peace are necessary. And these are gifts, these are virtues that can only be enjoyed in our union with Christ. And they can only be given by God who is described here as the God of all hope and supplied by Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you're not in Christ, if you're hoping in anything right now other than the God of hope, listen to me. If you're here and you're not in Christ and you are hoping in anything other than the God of hope, you will eventually be found as hoping against hope. Does that make sense? 
If you're hoping in any other person than Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, you will eventually be found out. And what will be revealed about you is you are hoping against the God of hope. You do not want to fall in the hands of an angry God. Secondly, and this is not really our outline, but that's just a blessing. The, the ministry highlights. Paul just goes and gives several things in verses 14 through 29. He's a minister according to the grace that has been given to him by God. He's a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, uh, the gospel of God to them. He states very clearly, if there's anything, any reason that I have to boast, if there's anything that I have to boast about, it's going to be pertaining to Jesus Christ. I fully preach the gospel from Jerusalem to Lyricum, and I desire to preach the gospel where Christ has not been preached. I don't want to build on another man's foundation. There's no, I, that's, that's astonishing for him to be able to say, there's nowhere else I have to go. Where's the next area to preach Christ? He wants to visit Spain. And in his uh, destination to visit Spain, he wants to come see them. He wants to spend time with them. And this is what he says in verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He's anticipating this union with them. I know that when I come, I will come in the full blessing of Christ. Now let's look to the prayer in verses 30 through 33. Let me read that prayer for us again. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And there's one thing uh, that uh, this prayer and the prayer that we looked at last week from Colossians chapter 1, uh, that it teaches us. So one common thing that both of them teach us is that it's possible to have a burden for people that we've not seen or uh, that we might not often see. It's very clear, just in case you thought last week's was maybe an isolation prayer when Paul told the church at Colossae, and so from the day I've heard, I've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We know later on in chapter 2, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for all those who have not seen me face to face. So Paul had a burden for them, and that burden, in a lot of ways, was explained by Epaphus, a faithful minister of Christ on their behalf. Well, here's another group of people that Paul has not yet been with. He hasn't enjoyed their face-to-face -face fellowship. These are the days before Skype. These are the days before FaceTime. There's no social media thing. Can't pick them up on the phone and talk to them. Can't text them. The only way that they would be able to see one another would be face-to-face -face and not yet been able to enjoy that sort of fellowship. Yet God has given him a burden for them. Now I urge you, brethren. We see that in verse 15, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. He wrote them in order to inform them. He wanted to make known how he was doing spiritually. 
He wanted to bring to them all the things necessary pertaining to his spiritual, physical, emotional health. He wanted them to know the things that he had done. He wanted them to know what his, uh, what his hopes were to do and how they could specifically, precisely intercede on his behalf. And you see with this phrase, again, he's bringing the triune Godhead into this throne room by our Lord Jesus, by the love of the Spirit, striving together to pray uh, with me in your prayers to God. Pray to God by the Lord Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray to God, our Father. We pray by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our perfect human spokesman. We pray in the Holy Spirit, who seals God's love and Christ's redemption on our behalf, which includes the cross, the resurrection, ascension, intercession, all of these things. So when we pray, we are praying according to each person of the Trinity. When we pray, we have full eternal access to the triune Godhead, and each person of the Trinity is ready to act on behalf of the glory of God and act on behalf of our joy, our lasting eternal joy in Jesus Christ. He is fighting in the throne room in prayer with us and for us. So what does this word urge mean? It means to wrestle. It means to contend. To wrestle with God in the throne room. It means to fight or contend along with someone, to strive together. It's a picture of wrestling in prayer. We wrestle, we contend with one another, not against one another. It's really important. He's instructing them, you wrestle with me. I'm urging you. You wrestle with me in praying. You don't wrestle against me in praying. And so it's a great dishonor. It's a great dishonor to God. Not only when a church is found contending and wrestling against one another, but when two in that church are found contending and wrestling against one another. This disrupts the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is because the root of bitterness is allowed to take way. All of these instructions, these commands, these warnings, be careful that these things do not happen. So words are important. Words matter. And what he's saying, you wrestle with me. You contend with me as we pray concerning these things. We must be diligent to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We must be diligent not to allow any root of bitterness to spring up among us. Other places that Paul requested uh, specific prayers on his behalf, there are several of them. I'm just going to read two of them. One from Ephesians 6, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this on view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Hear this. And pray, this is Paul, to the church at Ephesus, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. The Apostle Paul serves an example here. Pray for me that utterance would be given, that I would make boldly 
the mystery of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. There's that word again. And he will yet deliver us. There's lasting, eternal hope. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself in saying this, but the greatest way we can serve one another is by interceding for one another. And I'm going to explain that a little bit further in a moment, but it's probably helpful just to go ahead and say that again, say that right now and explain a little bit later on. The greatest way that we can serve one another is through our intercession for one another. I've mentioned before that to the degree that you and I are aware of our need, or need for God, it will be to that degree and that measure that we will seek his face. That'll ha have a way of, uh, of uh, getting underneath our earnestness as we seek his face. A beggar begs, therefore a Christian prays. Simeon said this, when God has enjoined intercession as a duty and appointed as a means of bestowing his blessing upon men, it is highly becoming in us to obey his mandate and seek his blessing in this appointed way. There is no man who may not be benefited by another person in this way. When people pray for us, intercede for us, every single one of us benefit as a result. Similarly, we will ask other people to intercede on our behalf to the degree that we feel that we need their intercession. People who are aware of their need for God, the urgency for God to meet with them, have zero issue inviting other brothers and sisters to pray for them in similar ways that Paul is saying to this church he's not yet met. I'm urging you. I'm urging you. Strive with me in praying to God on our behalf. Paul is not flippantly asking prayer for something that is not dear to him or something that he himself is not already seeking God for on his, for, on his own behalf. He is helping the church at Rome by giving them specific ways, God-honoring ways to pray for him. So, as we turn to this uh, petition, let me uh, answer this uh, burning question. I'm sure every one of us have this, this burning question, like what, what, um, what, what is this, you know, what is this prayer really about? Your burning, your burning question, all of our burning question is this right here. How would the Apostle Paul answer, if it was given to him, the tend my lambs doctrine? That's the burning question, right? That's what, the Apostle Paul, that, that's what the Apostle Paul is asking right here. How, how, we want to know, how is it that Paul would answer the tend my lambs document? And let me just read these questions all. Overall, how are you doing 
spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, household, work? Is there anything specific that you would like for me to pray with you about? Is there some way I or someone else could be of help to you at this time? If so, would you rather meet and talk than write it out? Is there anything that you would like to share about church life, etc.? So obviously, in a lot of ways, I'm just teasing around about the uh, 10 My Lambs document. But you see, you see what I'm trying to emphasize here. We send that, we, we send that document, out, document out for this reason, to help you to be of help to yourself by letting us know what's going on in your life so that we can encourage you and point you to Christ and so that we can intercede for you. That's why we're doing it. And you can see just even in the questions that I read from our document, just the things that Paul is inviting them into that are going on in his life are in a lot of ways comparable to some of the things that we're trying to ask. So let's look at this petition that he gives them. Three requests that Paul asked the Romans that we would strive together in God with the prayer. Rescue, helpfulness, and refreshing. Rescue, He's asking for rescue from disobedient Jews. We see that here in verse 31. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. So that's the first thing he's asking for their prayers. He wants to be rescued from disobedient Jews. Now some of these things were taking place, we can read in Acts, that happened to him before Romans was written. Acts chapter 9, the Grecian Jew tried to kill him. In Acts chapter 13, Paul's teaching was opposed, and therefore disobedient Jews became jealous of him. The Jews then incited God-fearing women uh, of high standing and men, uh, leading men of the city, and they caused persecution for Paul and Barnabas and eventually drove them from the region. In Acts 14, Paul was stoned. He was drugged out of the city, and he was left for death. In Acts 21 and 10 and following, this is what was said. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet, this is Paul, named Agabus, came down from Judea. He, coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, how about that right before you're about to go out? When he had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go out to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For, I'm not, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Paul knew the thing that lied before him. In verse 28 of that very same chapter in 21, men of Israel come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Angry, disobedient Jews wishing to get rid of Paul and even spreading false truths about him. And this is just not the only survey of the affliction that he faced. We knew that he had trouble in Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, I'm sorry, Ephesus, Macedonia. So what about you, dear Christian? Are you aware 
of the need that you have? None of us are, none of us are facing or being tested immediately with the very things that Paul was being confronted with this. Nevertheless, there is affliction that awaits us. There's persecution. There are trials. So even though what we have before us may not be identical with Paul or someone else, we should have a healthy awareness of our need. We should have a healthy awareness of our need for the Lord. So there's the need of rescue. Secondly, helpfulness. He wanted to have helpful service to the saints in Jerusalem. And there are two desires that he gave for this helpfulness. One, he wanted to preach Christ where it had not been preached. And two, this offering that he had been taking up for the Gentile Christians, he wanted it to serve them in, the, in an acceptable way. Verses 18 and 19, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So he wanted the gospel of Jesus Christ to continue to spread. But also, in verses 25 and 27, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So from Jerusalem to Lyricum, Paul had preached Christ. Paul understood that it was the grace of God given to him as a minister of Christ, ministering as a priest the gospel of God. And he too had a burden by God, given to him by God, to preach the gospel where he had not yet been preached. Paul had also taken an offering up for Gentile Christians. What was the problem with this? It seems like a good thing, taking up an offering to make contribution for the poor. Well, unbelieving Jews certainly opposed this. But not only was that the issue with unbelieving Jews, then you had some Gentile Christians that would question Paul's generosity. Is he up to something? Is he trying to bribe us? So there were underlying things that Paul was contending with, not only just with uh, Jews that were upset with him, but also those he sought to help who just questioned the validity of his ministry. And so, thirdly, so he prayed for rescue. He prayed that his ministry would be of genuine help. And then lastly, he prayed for refreshing. He desired to visit them in joy by the will of God and to receive a refreshing for his soul. He wants to see them, but he doesn't know if that would be God's plan. We can see that in verses 22 and 26. His desire to visit them on the way to Spain. What a phrase. No other place for me in the region. I'm going to come to you. I want to be helped by you. What a powerful statement. The Apostle Paul himself saying, I want to be helped by you. He wants to be encouraged in their faith. He had said earlier in this wonderful letter, your faith is being reported all around the world. James Montgomery Boyce said, if God is determined to do something in response to the prayers of his people, then his people must pray. Indeed, he will lead them to do so. So the two parts of this refreshing, one is, is this God's will for him to be there? And the refreshing of his soul 
in hopeful anticipation of being in their um, fellowship. And as far as we know, Paul never made it to Spain. There's no indication that he did so, no indication that he didn't. Was this desire to go there right? Absolutely. Would it be incredible for the gospel of God to penetrate an unreached area? Absolutely. However, it was not what God providentially planned for Paul, or as Proverbs 21.30 would say, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. No wisdom, no insight, no plan can succeed against God. We don't have any plans that we could submit to God that would be better than his plan A. God has no plan B. It's his revealed will. And Boyce noted in his commentary that when we read Acts, where Paul made it uh, to Rome, as, as, but he didn't make it to Rome in the way that he had wanted to make it to Rome. He was held in Caesarea for a little by, while, imprisoned in Rome for a couple of years. And he also noted that it was possible, however, that this Gentile offering uh, did partially heal the breach between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. For the leaders in Acts thanked Paul for his concern, and they praised God for his ministry while reminding him that God was also working among them to save many Jews and to bless Jewish Christianity. We see that in Acts 21. So we see God's answer to his prayers. He prayed, and we have the benefit to see how God answered that. So it should build within us a trust, that we trust God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So where might the gospel be clearly known in such a prayer? Thank you for asking. The person and work of Christ is clearly on display in this prayer. Have you ever just wondered what Jesus was saying to the Father in times that he secluded himself in prayer? Why or what did the disciples hear that prompted their question, Lord, teach us to pray? While in the Garden of Gethsemane in the closing hours before his crucifixion and death, we hear of some of the prayers being offered to the Father. So hear the gospel on display in the way that Paul is asking for prayers himself. We are the disobedient ones in need of rescue. He's prayed for deliverance from disobedient Jews. You and I are the disobedient ones that are in need of rescue. We are those who had offended God with our very lives. As it relates to helpful service, Christ is our help. God is the God of all hope. Praise God that he has visited us by taking on human flesh and the nature of a servant, that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Praise him as the one who stands at the door and knocks. He is the guest that has not just visited us, but he is the one who has taken up residence in our life. That's what Colossians 3, 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. We didn't invite him because we were the disobedient ones who had no clue of the help that we needed. But he visited us. And he did more than just visiting us. More sweetly, he has brought us into his fold. He has brought us into his home. He has adopted us. He has transferred us into his kingdom where Christ himself has, according to John chapter 14, prepared our room. He even says that his sheep know his voice and that his sheep will follow after him. It's only in Christ that we are refreshed and renewed. Christ bids us to take his light and unburdensome yoke 
upon us and for us to give him our load. He calls this rest for the weary. This is what real rest is. Almost every night since my kids have been uh, on this earth, my prayer to them as they get ready to go to bed is that I pray that you will rest well. I pray that you will rest in Christ. They understand what sleeping well is. But what I'm trying to, with the Lord's help, to drive into their little hearts is the sort of rest that we're after is not the six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve hour rest. But it's eternal rest that can only be found in Christ. God in Christ has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us in the kingdom of his loved son. So as we relate to our neighbor, we implore them to repent and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. We tell them, based on the authority of God's word, that Christ is their only hope. He is their only hope for rescue, help, and rebirth. And as for the brethren, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, let us agree together that what we have received in Christ is rescue, help, refreshing. Let this precious eternal reality, coupled with the fact that the church is the only institution that eternally matters in the kingdom of God, convince us that if it hasn't already done so, that this local expression, Grace Church, matters to God. Grace Church matters to God. Therefore, each of us must matter to one another. And earlier I said I've mentioned that I believe that the greatest thing that we could, the greatest way we could serve one another is in our intercession. Let me spell that out real briefly by saying this. I believe as one of your pastors that my intercession for you is foundational to any other care that you might receive for me. Because my intercession for you is acknowledging this, that God is your only hope and Jesus Christ alone is your supply. That's what I'm acknowledging to God as I pray for you. And then when I have the joy to sit across the table from you or when I have the privilege to click send on an email, what I'm further admitting when I'm doing these things is this, God help me. God help me to be the sort of help to them that you so desire. So intercessory prayer, intercessory prayer might not have the largest, most prominent platform in the Christian life. But it is the means of grace ordained by God in giving life and vitality to all other platforms of ministry. Hitting the brakes on praying, pushing pause in our intercession will have a detrimental impact in every other means of grace this church seeks to do. can't push the brakes. We can't press pause in our intercession. It will affect everything that this church does. So, I suppose that we end right where we began. Lord, teach us to pray.
Doesn't that embody humility? You ask a question of the Lord. He helps instruct you through the word. You grow in that. You stay humble. You ask him more. We are are right back where we started six weeks ago. Lord, teach us to pray that we would be a praying people. Let's pray. Thank you for the kindness that you've displayed to us in Christ. God, we pray that you would continue to remind us and show us that you are our only hope. Fill us with joy and peace that we would abound in hope in the power of your Holy Spirit. You are the God of peace. And God, we pray that you would Burden us in ways that we are not aware so that we have the joy of sweet, uninterrupted communion and fellowship with you. Do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.